This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 65 of the Muscles and Management Podcast and our inaugural Meathead Monday episode. So, as I mentioned on, I think it was the Q&A episode uh, we did, episode 63, I announced it at the end. Um, I, I mentioned the expansion of the Muscles and Manager podcast and basically the introduction of a Monday episode, sort of a little mini episode every Monday uh, where it's just me kind of walking through topics, questions, things of that nature. Um, and the reason I had the idea was I wanted to expand the show and give more content and have another episode available to the show. You know, the growth has been there and the audience has increased. And I realized that a good deal of the episodes I do now, and almost all of them actually, are interviews and discussions with other um, coaches, sport coaches, things like that. And I rarely do Q&As anymore. And I also thought that, you know, a solo episode isn't easy to do, but um, if it's a little shorter and it's got a clear topic, I can do it pretty easily and it's not, it's really pretty easy to get done. And, um, you know, I really think that this is a good way to kind of directly answer questions people have, or just literally run through a topic for 20 minutes and give all the answers I can on it and all the explanation that I can on it and just make these episodes on Monday where like people see them and just open them and know they're going to come away with knowing something or having more clarity on something or having something they can apply to their training or whatever it is. So I I really thought this was a cool thing to do to just kind of just inject more direct information on the podcast while, you know, I let those Wednesday episodes kind of be, you know, set for the interviews. And, you know, I'll still have some solo episodes on there, not many, but, you know, this is really going to be a new thing that I wanted to kind of add. And I don't want to obviously bog down people with too much, you know, hour long or hour and a half long episodes twice a week are a lot to digest and handle. So I thought this could be like a quick little, you know, in and out 20 minute type thing, you know, on whatever topic that I had. And I'd probably keep them at no more than a half hour and, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. So really pumped about this. You know, the show structure, as I kind of alluded to already, um, will be, you know, expanding on tweets. So if you see a tweet from me during the week and it's something that, you know, I, I see a lot of interaction with and, you know, something that gets pretty far with a lot of people and resonates, then I will take that tweet and expand on it. Something I've done on the show before and other instances, um, you know, just directly, you know, explaining particular topics in the field. So today's topic, for example, the strong enough topic is something that's been kind of circling around again that I wanted to take a little time to address. And, you know, small Q and A. So three, four questions, um, you know, keeping my DMs open as I always do and saving some of those or, you know, going through them again and, and saying, Hey, I really answered that one person really well. And I think it helped them a lot. Why not share that with the entire podcast audience? So really excited about this. And last, uh, but not least just how the episode numbering will work. So, Basically, I thought, you know, do I make these half episodes? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, episode 64 and a half, 65 and a half, et cetera, in between the full episodes. And I'm thinking to myself, that's going to just make things very complicated. And, you know, just because they're shorter doesn't make these any less episode, any less of an episode than, you know, a regular Wednesday episode. So these are going to just be fully numbered. So this is episode 65 this week. Last Wednesday was 64. And then our usual Wednesday episode this week will be episode 66. So it's going to just be labeled by, you know, one by one as we have been doing. And you can expect these every Monday and our usual show every Wednesday. 
With that said, today's topic, as I mentioned, strong enough. So this has been a hot topic on social media, and it usually leads to debates. Uh, you know, I, I find that it really starts to get divided into a black and white debate of sprinting versus strength training. It's like if you sprint, you can't possibly strength train or be someone that likes strength training. If you like having your guys strength train and, and then focus on building their strength, um, you're just you're incompetent and you don't focus on sprinting enough. Um, it gets separated into this really one-sided battle where it looks like you know everybody just assumes that you can only do one or the other and if you do one that there's no way you could possibly understand or appreciate the importance of the other as always with me gray area for one i am a coach that utilizes both methods you know pretty pretty heavily in my programming and i could probably show you enough of what i do to make you think i'm a you know, sprint only guy and i can also probably show you enough of what i do if i blocked out the other portion and make you think that I'm a strength-only guy. However, those of you who know me well or those who have trained with me or those who listen to the show know that is neither are the case. So what do people talk about when they say strong enough? Um, the, the biggest thing that I see is there's not an understanding that strength is important, but that eventually there is a diminishing return You know, to a certain point when it comes to strength training, meaning diminishing in terms of when we train athletes, our main goal is to improve attributes that are going to directly help them on the field. So speed, uh, jump height, rotational power, you know, rotational power even directly is like, you know, their ability to swing a bat or throw a ball or, um, you know, a receiver to run down the field and get past a cornerback on a, uh, on a passing play, you know, things of that nature. So we directly look to improve sport ability. What that says is that uh, you know, a squat, a deadlift, a vertical jump, whatever we're testing in the facility or in our strength training in a, in the uh, gym setting is basically geared towards being put together to improve the main indicators, if you will, or things that we're looking to get better. And we know that if we get those things better, it's going to improve performance in the sport. So when we say diminishing returns, we say, okay, you know, how, at what point is this heavy squat work or this heavy trap bar deadlifting work going to start to have a diminishing impact on what it can do for those most important qualities that we walk, we worry about on a field. And on the field, as we know, things are done in a very small or very fast context, sprinting, obviously, with short ground contact times, explosive windows, things like that. Uh, you know, very rarely in, in a team sport setting uh, are we exerting max effort for, you know, more than a few seconds. And if we are doing it, the window in which the force is exerted is very small. So general strength training has a great benefit early on, but eventually might start to not provide as much positive improvement on those things that I just kind of talked about. Why? As I already mentioned, ground contact time of sprinting, and we're going to talk about speed a lot directly here, is only a tenth of a second or so. So as we know, max effort squatting or deadlifting. So if you put 500 pounds on the bar and 505 is your max, it's going to probably take you a few seconds to exert all of that force and lift that bar. When we sprint, we are putting probably just as much, if you're elite level, force in the ground. But obviously, as we know, it's in a couple, it's in a less than a tenth of a second time. So you can see where that divide kind of sets in. However, when we are at a more of a beginning age and we have to build overall force, you know, getting your deadlift, trap bar deadlift from, you know, 150 to 300 will help, will help a great deal because even though sprinting only has that small window for force to be applied, if we are so deficient in force at a young age or just in general, we're going to have a threshold where overall force improvement 
is going to you know be translated and implemented into a ground contact time, for example, no matter how small that it is. What I mean by that is you when you're at a very low threshold, you are contacting the ground in a short amount of time. You basically in, can keep that contact time as low as it is and still have room for more force to be put into it because your overall force base is pretty low. When your force base is very high in an elite level, it's going to be a lot trickier and harder for general force improvement to be demonstrated in a ground contact time, something like that, basically. So after a certain point, the overall force you can exert becomes insignificant. So if you keep on building your ability to you know, generate force as a whole, it becomes insignificant if, if it is unable to be exerted in a more rapid fashion. So that is what is known as rate of, rate of force development. So that says like, you know, I have strength, like how fast can I display my force, my max force? So um, I have this max force, you know, two, two areas. One, how efficient can I be? So, you know, can I exert higher ends? Like, let's say my max force is a 10 out of 10. Can I go from exerting five out of 10 of that when I make a ground contact to 10 out of 10? If I can, and I can keep the ground contact times short, as just as short as they are, then I'm going to be pretty successful in getting faster and exerting more force in my power movements. That's very tricky to do, though. Yes, we understand that being strong is important. Um, Strength and force development is an easy way to build speed via the amount of force that can be displayed in each stride. And as we know, that's really critical for acceleration, which is why a young athlete who improves their uh, strength and their force output with like a deadlift or a squat, let's just say, they're going to have a much easier time accelerating right off the bat. Whereas, you know, improving overall force production and relative strength, so how strong you are relative to your body size, is going to help a lot for an elite athlete, so the relative strength part of it. But just, you know, getting your squat from 550 to 600 probably won't do as much for you on that first those first couple strides than it would for, you know, a young kid going from 150 to 250. That's going to make a big difference. So... What this means basically is um, we need to know when strength is going to help us and when it might help us less. So we also know that another, you know, for younger athletes, I keep uh, referencing younger athletes, strength can also help early on with the central nervous system, you know, what it lacks or what it's yet to uh, build. So strength training can aid in the ability to recruit high level or high threshold motor units. Um you know, this is the idea that expressing max strength with heavy loads acts pretty similarly on the body as, as it would on a sprint. So, um, you know, you're you're asking yourself to gather everything, you know, all in one max output, max effort. And that can have a pretty significant impact, positive impact on, you know, any activity where that is a requirement. And what I'm saying with the strength and the, uh, you know, nervous system with a young athlete, we know sprinting, jumping, et cetera, those are very nervous system dependent activities. So, you know, basically the transmission through your muscles, uh, through contractions, obviously kind of all bases off the nervous system and, and how things are transferred and all that kind of stuff, how quickly and how efficiently. What an athlete might lack and you know, whether that's genetics or, um, you know, something that you can build or whatever it is, you can, fill those gaps in pretty, you know, greatly with strength training early on. So if I have a 10 year old who's really slow or an 11 year old who's really slow, there's a really good bang for your buck in terms of strength training early on and improving their force production when it comes to just getting them, you know, improved in their power movements, like jumping and sprinting. So we have to remember that there's differences between our, depending on the population we're training, but then it's also, there's 
got to be a protocol for well, you know how we're testing and how we know these things because I just can't say every athlete that's 10 or 11 definitely can get better from strength training, although that's probably going to be the case. But this is a much better example. I can't necessarily assume that every 20-year-old who was pretty fast wouldn't benefit from uh, from strength training. And I also can't assume that um, you know if I have them do strength training, it's going to help them as well. So, okay, yeah, Jerry, like how do I know what you know instance calls for what and and that's pretty simple when it comes to just protocol so this is the part of the podcast where i explained a lot of like the principles and how these things work this is where you want to you know jot things down and what i use personally to make these decisions with athletes so how can we tell as i said before it shouldn't be one or the other type argument instead you really have to use uh testing rationale and the key performance indicator, and as I mentioned before, a key performance indicator is your group of four or five things, a vertical jump, a sprint, a you know chin up, a body weight, all that kind of stuff. Those are things you're measuring when you train and you're using your success and improving those numbers to determine whether or not your program is, is successful or not. And assuming that when you improve those things, it's going to directly have a positive impact on sports performance. So with that said, what are some ones that I use? The vertical jump, first and foremost, that is a really big one. Vertical is a great test for overall lower half power and, you know, how we generally express force in the confines of rapidly developing movement. So think about it. When you do a vertical, like how quickly you descend into your load and then come back out into your jump, like that is a very short window and quite similar to, you know, the dynamic nature of a sprint. So it's a great, obviously, a test for for overall power and all that kind of stuff, Um but if you're squatting or deadlifting at a novice level and you see improvement in your vertical, it may be a good sign to keep going. So basically the vertical does have a good base centered around force production. And as we know, like I mentioned, squatting and deadlifting, that can help that. So like I said before, you know, how fast you can move something when there's not much to move at all is pretty insignificant. So if you don't have a lot of force production there, but you're a very rapid loader and you make use of the stretch shortening cycle effectively, you're still not going to jump as high as you possibly could. However, if you build that overall force, there's going to be an early period of time where a lot of that force will directly translate even into the rapid part of the load. So like I said, if you notice your strength work is improving your vertical, improving a movement that is dependent upon a fast load, keep going until it pretty much doesn't anymore. It's a, that's a really easy rule to go by. However, once you are pushing high levels of weight, you have to look beyond this. So your vertical may be increasing in spite of the excess, force, excess forces you're building. Excuse me. Why? Well, basically, if you are strength training and you reach two times your body weight in a back squat and your vertical is 28 inches, and then you go to 2.25 times your body weight, and it goes up to 29 inches, you might say, wow, my strength training still is you know, helping me improve my vertical. But if you're doing plyometrics while you're doing those squats and improving those squat numbers, how do we know your, your vertical hasn't just directly gone up because of the fact that you're just jumping? Here's an easy, here's a, not an easy way, but here's a way that you can kind of tell you know, if you're you know, increasing your vertical in spite of XX force you are building. Um, basically what you want to do is a static jump test is effective because it's going to be predicated on force because you're taking the load out. So you load, you hold for a few seconds, you get rid of the benefit. The stretch shortening cycle would provide for you. But at the same time, even though it's a lot of force into that portion of the jump, you still have to go. So think about it. You load to the bottom of your vertical and you do your hold and then you drive right out of that into your jump. 
that's a hell of a lot faster than you are when you have, you know, four plates on each side of the bar. If that's a, you know, your max squat and you come from the bottom out of that, that's going to take a couple seconds. Whereas in a half seconds time, you're, you're through your loaded uh, portion of your jump and into the output. So although it's more force related, cause you're moving the stretch shortening cycle, you can still get a good idea of whether or not, you know, the force you're building is force that's applicable to the more dynamic end of things. So like I said, you're you're in that load loaded position and you're paused. Now you have to exert a bunch of force in a very small time. So this can really tell you if you're, you know, getting anything more out of any additional strength you're building in a slow fashion. Um, you know, like I said, even without the load, you still need to exert a ton of force in a very small window from the bottom of the load. So this can be a fantastic indicator um, of whether or not the strength you're building in a slower fashion is contributing to this, or if it's time to move on to something else. So good example, one of my football players, uh, Elijah Juan Mack, he's committed to Rutgers. You've seen him on my social media before. He basically is up to a 405 pound back squat now. And I have his static vertical numbers, uh, you know, the day, the week of the week that we tested and we got that 405 number, I have his static vert. So we're going to do one more cycle, letting him, you know, continue to chase some strength numbers. I've all, you know, albeit with, you know, good mechanics and, um, you know, not sacrificing technical proficiency and all that kind of stuff. But if I see that that number doesn't really budge much after six weeks and his squat went up 30 pounds, I can be pretty safe to assume that it's probably time to move on to some other things. I mean, he's 180 pounds. He's, I think off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, he's like 2.3 times his body weight. So natural, just general feedback a lot of people give us would tell us that he's probably at a point now where just continuing to get that number up may not translate as much as it was before. So we're going to use the static numbers that we have to make that decision. So where do we go from here? Um, You know, heavy yet slightly you know, lighter loads moved faster. So like accelerative strength windows, those can be effective in starting the transition or better yet, not even a just transition, uh, you know, putting us into positions where we have higher loads, but we can move them a little bit faster. So getting us a little better at moving high amounts of force and, you know, more of a speed window. Loaded jumps. So we all, obviously, as we know, loaded jumps are a huge tool in my toolbox. Loaded jumps are great because you're basically adding a little bit of a load to a dynamic movement and you're getting an athlete in a position where they have to exert force in the context of that dynamic movement. So what better way to blend overall force production and a movement that is very dynamic is doing that movement with a load in your hand. So you're still moving fast enough. It's still a jump, but there's just enough load involved in it that it gets you to exert force. So what I'm trying to say is there might be a lot of force you have that you're not getting yourself to exert in these movements, whether it's because you're in a, you just have an inability to do that or because um, the movements are performed too quickly or too in too dynamically for all that force to be exerted. So if we put force with those movements, it's going to naturally get the athlete better at utilizing some force they may not be using in those movements. So loaded jumps are a great way to go about it. And then something else I've been toying with recently uh, and this is specifically, I was, you know, thinking about this for Mac, as I just explained his situation, um, a concentric only loaded jump. So think about that as if you had your weights in your hands and, or better yet, you load into the bottom of your jump load and then you had your trap bar, let's just say up on block. So you can kind of grab it from the bottom of your load. You would grab hold of it and then jump all from the bottom of your squat. So what does that remind you of? I just explained before, when you come out of that static position in your static jump testing, you're going from zero and, uh, you know, you have to exert a lot of force. Yes, but it's got to be in a small amount of time. So if we load an athlete in that position, make it heavy enough where 
you know, it still forces them to use, you know, for lack of a better word, force. Um, but we're still letting them jump with it. I can't really load my max squat weight 405 onto a bar and tell an athlete to jump off the floor with it. It's probably not going to be that successful, but I can use maybe 50% of that, which is still getting them to exert force. And they're going to be able to actually move out of that concentric position. So now it's strength related. There's no load and stretch shortening cycle benefit into it, but we're getting them to put a load in that bottom position and basically challenge them to move a heavy amount of weight in a very small amount of time, similar to that static jump testing on the vertical. So those are some ideas that I've been playing around with. Um, kind of perfect this time. This this is right about 20 minutes, and I kind of said I didn't want to go any longer than that uh, to kind of keep these short and sweet. I, I actually, I'm pleasantly surprised I went better than I thought it would go, uh, go, and I'm pretty satisfied with that as the first one that I'm doing. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this, be on the lookout for Wednesday's episode. We have Brandon Howard, Texas Tech associate strength coach uh, for football. So be on the lookout for that. He's great. And you guys are going to enjoy that one. And then we will be back next week on Monday with another Meathead Monday. Please give me feedback on these. Let me know what you guys think. As always, please drop me uh, a rating or review if possible. I hope you guys enjoy these. You know, I'm just going to try to make them as chock full of information as possible and just give you guys, you know, a little extra content. So as always, I will talk to you guys Wednesday. Until next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, signing off on the show that's changing the way we view training, sports performance, and business.